asking. I want to I want to start on my terms as in, in, a, in a climate that is acceptable to to my sweating. So um, so anyway, I'll just say it's been a great run so far with conduit. Um, also wanted to do we do this now? Like clarify kind of a like positions and stuff like that, or do we want to wait? But Jeremy and I have talked a little bit. So wait. We can go a little bit, but we can go more into once everything. Okay. Uh, okay. Let's. I'll say this then. Uh, Jeremy, the administrative genius, has been writing grids and org charts and things, which is good. Because I'm not. I'm not an org chart guy. So, you know, basically, you know, we're trying to just basically define and not getting into the systems. All right. You know, I mean, as far as like the. You know, we're not going to have like membership classes or I mean, you know, the children's <laughs> department launching this month. I mean, none of that, okay? Um, <laughs> but we're just trying to make sure that the information is flowing freely. Um, we've committed to you guys that we're a wide open book um, on the money, and we've got this great. I mean, God just dropped in our lap. You know, these folks that have been friends of our family for years, and he just happens to be a CPA that just happens to specialize in nonprofit ministries. And so his wife is uh, graciously. Um, you know, keeping all the books for us so that, you know, so that I don't end up going to jail. And, and so that you guys, you know, because it's a non-profit, I don't want any part of that. I just don't want to, to me, the money is a hot potato. I don't want any part of it. I don't, you know, I don't want to see it. I don't, you know, we get some totals and we'll, we'll share with you guys and then we want it gone. We want it immediately flushed through the conduit system. There's no sense in holding it, which ironically enough is what we're talking about tonight in Hebrews 3 when it comes to cisterns and such. What if I say something like crocodile hunter? Back from Mexico. Oh. <laughs> you get the crocodile hunter look going on. That's good. He just got back from Mexico. I just got back from Mexico. Like you just got back from Mexico. Like, Nathan Pebbles, just went, back from Mexico. Yeah, I literally went and dropped off my badge and drove here. Wow. Yeah. Um, and let those people that didn't come tonight, you know, because they were busy, think about that for a minute. <laughs> I just got here from Mexico. So talk to me. Um, just wanted to uh, share a really cool experience that I had. Um, yeah, you should probably come up here, Nathan. We're on TV now. What? That's terrible. We're web, we're web evangelists. Hey, man. Do we? It's probably all four of my kids. Who's the main talk? Look, it's it's daddy. Who's the main talk? All right. Um, so I just got back from Mexico, and really cool experience. Um, the Mexico trip basically is a medical mission. We a group from Arlington, Texas, and a nearby nurse uh, nursing school um, basically go down and they clean teeth. They provide general med- um, medical needs and things like that. They take down prescriptions. Um, they, I mean, they do anything that you can as far as you know taking care of their immediate needs. Um, they do follow up um, throughout the year and things like that. And they try and go to the same sites uh, pr- quite frequently. Um, it's nothing to see, you know the same people over and over and over. But basically what Journey Ecclesia um, gave is that we were in charge of the children. We went down and we basically entertained the kids for about eight hours a day in the sun while their parents and they themselves got medical treatment. And a really cool and amazing thing that just, it was probably the most impactful moment of the entire trip for me personally. we were just hanging out. Uh, we had a tent, and we were playing with the kids. And this guy walks up, and he's got a guitar on his shoulder. And he's in a white kind of dress shirt, black pants. And we call him over because um, one of the guys had brought a guitar. Um, and we are like, hey, come play something for us. You know, play something in, in Spanish for the kids. And he's like, 
Okay, and it took a little while to kind of get the whole understanding down and everything, language barrier. But he came over and immediately he picks up the guitar, just starts playing a little bit, and he starts playing a worship song. And for the life of me, I can't tell you what that worship song is right now. But it was, it was something that, for me personally, it was this moment of, wow, it's not us helping them, it's us helping us. It's the fact that, you know, so many times we think of missions, we think about giving, that we're helping them, we're sending money to them, we're sending money to them, we're going to help them. But the fact of the matter is it's all the kingdom. And that's the thing, is that we're the kingdom, they're the kingdom, yeah. we're helping us. And that just, I was sitting there, Jeremy walked by, I was typing on my iPod Touch, and that was the thought that was going through my head that I had to get out, is that it's not, it's not about us helping them. Right. It's us helping the kingdom, which we're the kingdom as well. And so I think this was something to keep in mind. I think, you know, Philip would probably agree with that as many times he's gone down to Haiti. You know, it's not helping them. It's helping the kingdom, which we're part of. So Amazing. Welcome home. Last week, we were in Hebrews 2. And we tried to unpack, and there was like a lot of moving parts in it. But the basic premise of it is that Jesus Christ, okay, is God's Son. Right? And we've all heard that. We've all sang songs about that. It's almost cliche. But realizing that then as a son, that says that we're his, he's our brother, okay? Like our big brother, the oldest brother uh, in our family. And we went into that talking about the family business. I mean, this is nepotism. You know, in, in America, you know, oftentimes, in, especially in churches, when daddy dies, then the son takes over. It's, you know, nepotism is that. It's the father's son, or in, in, not just in the church, but in businesses. Dad, you know, dad is, well, we see that on Donald Trump, right? Who, who is flanking, you know, Donald Trump on the right and the left on The Apprentice? It's not the, uh, the uh, cranky old guy. And the lady to get fired? No, it's son and daughter because nepotism is—it's the father bringing the son, you know, the daughter into this thing. The father, our father in heaven, is basically putting that nepotism, so to speak. It almost has a negative connotation. I don't mean to sound like that, but onto us because we are about the father's business. What did Jesus say when he was twelve years old in the temple? He says, "Didn't you know I'd be about my father's business?" So it would be good for us to know what the Father's business is. Because what Hebrews 3, verse 1 starts out with, Therefore, and you guys know this if you've been around for a while, if you haven't, here's a little clue. The Bible, I believe, to be the inspired Word of God. The chapters and the verses are not inspired. Those are some guy trying to be helpful. Okay, So there isn't necessarily a break in thought here. But therefore, whenever you see the therefore in the Bible... It's always good to go back up a few verses because it's basically saying, because of this, and I heard a, a pastor once say, whenever you see therefore, you should look and see what it's there for, okay? So therefore, because of that, because we're in the family business, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts. King James says, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Jesus, who is the guy that we keep trying to do in America anyway, right out of the script. Philip said that when they were rehearsing Shout to the Lord, uh, which I'm still fascinated by, but when they were rehearsing it during the day at American Idol, 
they were they were singing shepherd my shepherd my you know they were trying to and i'm just positive that somebody you know somewhere was trying to figure out how to make this song less offensive because somehow and you can just figure i mean it's it makes so much sense the name jesus jesus is an offensive name in our country you know oprah we can talk about god and you know these things but when it comes to jesus all of a sudden we're drawing a line in the sand somehow but jesus is who you and i are to consider he's he's the apostle high priest whom we confess he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as moses was faithful in all god's house and if you were with us at easter at pastor w smith's barn um we talked a little bit, a bit about that, what Christ's motivation was, was about the Father. And it's such a relief to me, and maybe it is to you, because, you know, look, if, if your motivation is me and me getting it right, you know, I'm going to let you down, you know? But Christ's motivation was pleasing the Father in that. And he did love us, and he did die for us, but it was the Father that he was going to please. It says it right here. And so that when he now is our high priest... He represents us to the Father from a seated position because God's not mad at us. He's not ticked off at us. But Jesus took the justice for us and now we're brothers with him. He did it for the Father. And then we get to benefit in that. And says that Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was a faithful servant in all God's house, testifying to what could be said in the future. But Christ is, a faithful, is faithful as a son over God's house. And we, listen to this, are his house. If we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, and he's quoting Psalm 95 here, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, and for 40 years saw what I did, this is what I was angry with that generation, and I said, this is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. That rest, the promised land, You'll maybe hear sometimes people say that that is representative of heaven. You know, you'll hear uh, Southern Gospel songs about Beulah Land, all right? Right? No? Nobody knows what Southern Gospel Beulah Land. The Promised Land. But hear me say this. When you hear the reference of the Promised Land in Scripture, it's not talking about heaven, okay? Because you know why I know this? There are no giants in heaven, right? The Promised Land, there were giants to conquer. There were still wars to be fought. But there was provision. There was milk. There was honey. Apparently that was a big ticket item in those days. Milk and honey. I've said it before, but man, if I were then, maybe at this day and age, maybe it would be the land of tater tots. You know, and KFC. I don't know, whatever your favorite food is. Yeah, that's kind of gross. I apologize. <laughs> Morton's, all right? It's the land of Morton's <laughs> and Ruth's Chris. <laughs> But that, that, those are big ticket items, milk and honey. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have the grocery store, right? Milk and honey in those days was, you know, we were wandering around in the desert. Those were hard to come by. But it speaks of, for you and for I, the spirit-filled life. It speaks of the fact that you and I can live in this world. And I'm not, this is not the name it and claim it, get rich for Jesus. I'm just saying this is, 
us being able to live at peace in this life. And it says that, so that's the, what the promised land, the rest that it's talking about. And it says in verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And underline sinful if you're an, un, uh, if you're an underwriting, underlining person. That turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end. The confidence we had at first, as has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see that, that phrase again, as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all Moses, all those that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for four years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest? if not those who disobeyed. And again, when you're underlining. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now that's kind of shocking to me. Because I would think that it would be because they were idiots they didn't get to enter. Or because they, were, they had idols. Or because they were sinful. That's why they didn't enter. Maybe their lack of piety that they didn't get to enter the promised land. Or maybe for you and I it would be because of we don't have a good quiet time every day. That we don't get to enter that rest, right? Those are the things when we don't feel like we're walking in the spirit-filled life that we start to pursue. Works. I'm going to read the Bible more, right? I'm going to every morning now. I'm going to get up at five in the morning because I saw the thing in, in uh, Psalm about getting up early to pray, and I'm going to do that every day, starting tomorrow. And then you know, and maybe you get it. I don't know. Maybe you cut it for a couple days, but you know, how's that working out for you, really? How's that one-year Bible program going? Did you make it to March? You know how it is. You slip behind a couple days. and Okay, but this is the weekend. and Well, you know, it's the genealogy, so I can skip those anyway, so I can make that a catch-up day. You know what I'm saying? I mean, maybe you've never done this before. But those are the things that we want to do to get into the, the Spirit-filled life. But what it says here is that it was unbelief that kept them out. Unbelief. They chose not to believe that their father really could pull this off. They chose not to believe that God really wasn't that good. And as a father of four children, I kind of get a grasp on this because I see that in my kids that they're not old enough yet to understand because they don't really, they don't really know me yet. I mean, they know daddy. But they're not old enough to comprehend and get some things wired. And so what happens in that is that they start to do things like help daddy out. Oldest daughter sees younger daughter doing something wrong and she lurches into action. Or leaps into action, I should say. To take care of it. To fix it. And the reason she does that, even though she can't even articulate this thought, is because she doesn't believe that daddy can handle the situation. Her instinct is to jump into action to fix it. Just like you and I might do when we see our brothers and sisters around us doing something we don't agree with, we want to leap into action and be Holy Ghost Junior and correct them. And we got to cut that crap out because what we're doing is then we're trying to craft them into our image, okay? And look, we don't need another one of you running around out there. We don't need another one of me, all right? We got to let God do His perfect work in those situations. And unbelief 
is the sin. The result of that sin are things like that. We're trying to help God out. Unbelief is what happened to Eve. It was the original sin. Because what did, what did the serpent say to Eve that day? He said, did God really say that? Did God really say that you couldn't? And so what was Eve's response? Because the serpent asked, we don't have time to go there tonight, but asked, did God really say that you shouldn't eat? And Eve's response was, oh yeah, God said we shouldn't eat it. We shouldn't even touch it. One problem, God didn't say that. God said, don't eat it. Eve added to it and said, don't touch it. It's the first instance of legalism in the Bible. Legalism is taking God's word and adding something to it. Making something, you know, putting your own parameters around it. Right? we got to wear suits and ties because we want to look respectable when we come into God's presence. Okay? Look, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But that doesn't, he didn't, God didn't say that. He didn't. He didn't say, i got to have my hair above my collar you know, when I go to Bible college. That's what the Bible college guy said. Is it a sin to have your hair above your collar? Probably not. But what I'm saying is that's the legalism thing. That's an unbelief, us trying to cast our image on somebody else to cast them in our image instead of letting the Lord do His perfect work, letting the Holy Spirit do His job. Because I'm going to tell you, it irritates me when my daughter leaps into action to try to help because I got it under control. She doesn't understand because she doesn't understand the big picture. So she's down there trying to be Daddy Junior or Mommy Junior, right? And on the other side of that, on the, the positive side for Ethan, as far as that's concerned, is, you know, Shannon and I were like, yeah, we don't want to spoil him, right? We want to make sure that he's got his, you know, he's the youngest child. We don't want it to be the youngest child syndrome, a little Dennis the Menace on the ground. But what we also, what at least I personally didn't think about was with three older sisters, they can spoil him for me, Right? Like, they leap into action to say, you know, when Ethan's, you know, crying about something, they pick him up and hold him. I mean, he's learning all these things that we're trying not to do. Again, from the, your brothers and sisters in Christ, let God do his job. And not just in your brothers and sisters around you, okay? But in your own life as well. You're a son, you're a daughter of the Lord, of the, of the Father. Let him do that work in you as well. And build that trust. Because what happens when we don't believe, okay? That's the sin. And by the way, unbelief isn't just a state of being. It's a sin. Uh, it's a sin to not believe. When you've heard it, when you've heard the truth, it's a sin when you choose not to believe, not to trust that God has your best interests in mind. Even when you don't understand it, even when you don't get it, and when you go from that sin of unbelief, everything else out of that, and this is what I'm driving at now, is that what do we do when we don't believe that God doesn't have our best interest in mind, when we don't understand it, so we get kind of ticked off? We murmur. We complain about it. That's what was going on in the desert. You see, they were murmuring, they were complaining, they were being, you know, uh, you know, little, little spoiled, rotten children in the desert. And quite honestly, when you think about it, they kind of had a lot to complain about. I mean, they're wandering around in a desert, for crying out loud. That's something to complain about. I mean, I complain about delayed flights. You know what I'm saying? But God is saying to them that their unbelief is what caused their murmuring. And it was their unbelief that kept them not out of heaven, okay? It doesn't keep you and me out of heaven. It keeps us out of the promised land, out of that spirit-filled life of peace that we could have here on earth. That no matter what the circumstance, whether it's in the desert, 
whether it's Paul being shipwrecked or bitten by snakes or, you know, long trips from Mexico, whatever it is, that we can have peace in that situation by simply believing. Now, I'm not going to talk very long tonight because with the point I'm about to make, I wanted to sit with you. So I don't want to like burden you with a whole bunch of information, but go back up to verse 12. See to it, brothers, then, okay? So we know that unbelief is the problem. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The word sinful there, when you see the word sinful in the New Testament, if you've got a King James Bible, it is actually the word evil. It's the word in the Greek is panero. And if I had my computer on, I would tell you the exact definition. It's We think of sinful and evil as, you know, like Cruella de Vil, like the <laughs> kind of evil. <laughs> A lot of kids' movies. But listen to what the definition of, of this word is. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Full of labors, annoyance, hardship, pressed, harassed by labors, working. Don't let your heart be that works in energy and frustration. One of the promises of the new covenant in Ezekiel is that Ezekiel eleven nineteen says that God was going to take their heart of what? Stone and make it a heart of flesh. And when that happens, what we tend to do, Jeremiah 2, if you, if you want to go with me there, or if you just want to write it down and come back later, but Jeremiah 2.13 God is speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. You're like, Aaron, does this have a point? I promise it does. We're getting ready. We're coming in. Remember the heart, the hardened heart, okay? Has a nation ever changed as God? Verse 11. You know, just go with me to verse uh, 13. My people have committed two sins. Listen to this. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Your heart, okay, is where God wants to make his living. And when we say heart, okay, can anybody tell me where that scripture is to ask Jesus into your heart? Remember when you were a little kid, you asked Jesus into your heart? Anybody know where that is? The reason you don't is because it's not there. There is no scripture that says ask Jesus into your heart, okay? It's just not there. It sounds good on little tracks, and it's great when you're in children's church, and you've got to ask Jesus to come into your heart. But what's happening in, in reality is this. The actual... God of the universe, the Holy Spirit indwells you. You are His house. Now when it talks about heart, we use the word heart because it's the centrality of our existence. If you've ever had your heart stop, you understand that you stop. Okay? So the centrality of your existence is your heart. That's, there is, it doesn't like He comes in and indwells your heart. You understand that, right? This is, a, this is a picture. So inside of you is indwelling the Holy Spirit. The fountains of living water that flow through you, when Jesus at the well said, "I will give you to drink, and from you, what you're from your, you will never thirst again." It talks about from your bellies will flow rivers of living water. And the reason, the picture is this: our lives are meant to be conduits of that of the Holy Spirit in this earth. And what happens when we harden our hearts? 
is this. A cistern, if you've been to Israel, which I have not, but I've heard, are these basically like in-ground pool water storage facilities. And they are hard work. Okay? When you are making a cistern, now right behind you, you got this, listen, a spring of water bubbling behind you the whole time. And you are taking a chisel, you're taking a hammer, and you are working and beating and chiseling and laboring to build this cistern to hold this water. Because in reality, you don't believe that that water will be there forever. You need water stored up for you. And when we do that, we harden this thing around us. We build these walls around us. So we're supposed to be this this conduit of living water, of the spirit of God's provision into the world. And what we're doing instead is we're building these little walls around us. And it's work. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you understand that all of a sudden with programs and processes, we, uh, we drive this thing where we're building these walls that require all this work so that we can store this thing up right in front of us. And we're all behind, the whole time right behind us is the, there's the fountain. It's still springing living water. And we're building this thing to hold it. God didn't mean for us to be a cistern. God meant for us to be just a pipe that he could plug in and spray the Holy Spirit that direction. To spray provision to Haiti, to Mexico. We are his hands and his feet. I know that makes a great Christian song, but the fact is, is it's really true. If we are not the body of Christ, all it is Jesus would be is just a head with a lot of really great ideas. And nobody to do anything about it. He has set this thing up in a way that you and I are his hands and his feet, his body. And our goal, our job is to be about the Father's business. And the Father's business is not to build a cistern around us to harden our hearts with unbelief. Because we don't really believe that if we let that water keep going downstream, that there's more coming behind it to provide for us. I heard a missionary say when I was in Guatemala when I was 16 years old, he says, I've always viewed it that... I, you know, his picture in his mind was I, I get with my left hand, I give away with my right hand, and all the way through my needs are met. It's just a perfect picture of what it is for us. Because if we're building this little kingdom, this little cistern, the irony of it is, is that when you get so done with all that work, and when it says, like it says in Jeremiah, that it didn't hold any water to begin with, it leaked. We just built a leaky cistern. So what do we do? We go try to build another one. All along, the water's bubbling, still going. We're building another one. I don't want conduit to be that. You know, we don't have that stuff going on here. We're, you know, we kind of love it because we don't really know what to call it. And conduit's the only word we could come up with because it's the closest we could come because every one of us in this room, not just money, even though that's one thing that we're flowing out of here. I mean, I'm just stunned that this little band of warriors has given away so much of our own resources. And every time you do that, what you're saying to God is, I believe. Because I'm giving something away that's important to me. Something that I need. Money that I could be spending on myself. But I'm trusting you, God, that there's more coming behind it. And I want you to know, after 13 years of, of, of being married and us tithing faithfully and giving and being a part of the kingdom in that way, it's always been that way. God's always provided more. There's always more coming down the pipeline. But it's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. It's your work. It's your time. When you're giving away, when you sacrifice, when you are, whether it's going to Haiti or whether it's whatever God is calling you to do to Mexico, 
serving in this community right around us. When you do that, you're saying that I'm giving of this thing of me, knowing that there's more energy coming behind it, that the, the, the Father, the God of the universe who indwells me, has given me a heart of flesh that is, I'm a pumping station, so to speak, for Christ on this earth. I don't have to store it up. I don't have to build a little kingdom so I can keep it for myself because I don't believe that it's not coming down the pipeline behind me. And gang, the good news is, is that when we do that, when you're on the front lines, man, God's got your back. You're just aiming yourself in a direction and from your belly is flowing these rivers of living water. God's got your back in that situation. He is your back. He's your front. He's your side. I know that you think about it in terms of maybe some of you maybe you're even scared. I heard somebody say this once. It might have been our pastor, but you know, you're pretty much think of it this way. You're immortal until God's done with you on this earth. You don't have to be afraid. If God's done with you, you're going anyway, no matter what. You know what I mean? Don't harden your heart. Don't try to protect all this stuff, your little thing with your hewn cistern, which is really about what? Building and working and laboring. Because the fact of the matter is, is all that does is make you tired and frustrated and burned out anyway. The great news for you guys, and we're getting, this is where we land, is this, that God... Jesus said this. He said that my burden is light, that he has come to give us rest. And I want to challenge you tonight this in this way. If you, in your walk with the Lord, you feel burdened and you feel tired, not tired like, you know, driven from Mexico tired, but also, you know, like that deep soaking tired and burned out, then I want to challenge you that I think you've built a cistern around yourself and you need to tear it down and let the the flow of the Holy Spirit of God's provision flow through you. A river is meant to be wild. It's meant to be untamed. It's meant to keep flowing and fresh. Tear down your cisterns. Tear down your hardened hearts with the labor, with the work that you've done to build this thing around it and let the Lord move through you. And the great news is it's really kind of exciting because every day it's something new. Every day it's something fresh. Every day God's mercy is new. And every day you wake up and say, God, what is it today? Because it becomes that relationship that it was always meant to be and not that club that we signed up for where we heard that we had to ask Jesus into our hearts with the track and we signed up for the club. And now, you know, it's, and I don't mean to belittle that, right? But I'm just saying that it's so much more than just that. We've talked about it here before. There is no the prayer and now you've signed up and now you get to go to heaven. There is a life changing. You are born again. You're a new creation moment in your life. And from that moment on, you're a conduit of God on this earth. You're his hands. You're his feet. Whether it's in Franklin, whether it's in Canada, whether it's anywhere in the world, you're a conduit. Does this make sense? God has taken that hard heart and turned it into a heart of flesh. Don't build a wall around it. Don't damn it up. Let's pray. God, we um, we ask for your mercy tonight in our lives. And if there are things in our lives, God, that we've begun to just build walls around and harden our hearts because of unbelief, change that tonight, God, to say that we really do believe you. We really do believe that you are who you said you are, that you'll do what you said you would do, we believe it. We believe it. And the great news, God, for us tonight is that's all you ask of us. 
And anything we do from here forward is a result of that belief. The things that we have done as a result of the unbelief go away because the things that we do now are a result of what we believe. And we believe that you are who you said you are. I ask for your spirit to be with each one of us tonight to show us those things that you said you would do, God. That the Holy Spirit would teach us, the Holy Spirit would remind us, the Holy Spirit would comfort us with those jobs that you've outlined that they, you would do for us. That that would be a part of our lives tonight. Showing us how we can tear down the cistern, become that river of living water, that the hardened heart would go away. And we just live a life of simple belief. Believing you. In Jesus' name, amen. Did it make sense? Okay. God doesn't want you to be a pond, okay? You're a river. Think of yourselves differently than what you've ever thought of yourselves before. God has called each and every one of you right where you are to be a part of this. This wasn't signing up for some club to get to go to church, to get to go to... we got to get even the phrase going to church out of our mind. We are the church. We're God's body on this earth. We just happen to be His body here and now we're His body over here. There's not a bunch of little mini-me's running around. There's like, we're all one big body. All right. Okay. Um, if you are not on our email list, um, we have a little handsome little cards. They're handsome. They're not fancy because again, we keep giving all the money away, um, and that works out just fine. If you're not on the email list and you'd like to keep up with what we're doing here, uh, take one of these little cards. You can write your email address down, and we uh, occasionally the emails are funny. I gotta tell you, I got I got some uh, hot responses from the. Uh, email this week. Hopefully I didn't offend any of my fellow Iowa and Nebraskan people uh, with my ethanol comments. But anyway, um, I just really passionately, I don't know the answer. I don't know the solution. I, you know, I understand all, like everybody else does that every time I fill my tank up with gas that I'm absolutely funding the guys that want to kill me. I get that. But I also don't know how to solve this other problem that we're now killing people of starvation because of our genius, it was, I was reading in Corinthians, First Corinthians, we talked about the wisdom of the world is made foolish in the eyes of the Lord. We just will never get it right. I mean, really, when you think about it. We think we're so smart, and we're just really a bunch of idiots. And someday when Jesus comes back, opens up the can of whoop God, and sets up his government, uh, it'll all be better. But in the meantime, it's our calling and our job to be his hands and his feet. So on that note, the two fancy buckets are right here. If God is speaking to you tonight to be a part of what we're doing with the kingdom, I only make uh, one promise, and that is that we don't see any of it. I don't make any money on this. But Jeremy, Philip, my wife, nobody gets paid for this. This is us just coming together and being the body of Christ. And sometimes the body of Christ is about saying, I trust you, Lord, that if I give away this money, knowing that this is absolutely going to save somebody's life, that you've got my back. When it talks about giving seed to the sower in 2 Corinthians, it was actually talking about an offering for the poor. Right? God says, if, if you give to the poor, I'm going to give you more to give away. You become the conduit at that point of God's finances on the earth. If, if you want to be a part of that, the buckets are right there. Um, we do need to get as much as we can to the floor and to our friends in Haiti. Uh, and be in prayer that the Lord... The Lord's will be done. I mean, this is, it reminded me, I was reading in Revelation again this week, we talked about the inflation that, that would come where a loaf of bread, you know, would cost a day's wages, or I can't remember exactly what it is, but, you know, this is the kind of stuff that's signs of the times. But let's be a body to our brothers and sisters in Haiti and around the world, okay? We'll be back next week. Um, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no.
Next week is the uh, the Gemma week. Give me attention week. You might be familiar, familiar with it. Give me week. Um, so we're going to be. Uh, I'm going to be wandering around, um, and uh, so we will not have conduit next Sunday night. Okay. Uh, the following Sunday, assuming that I can actually walk, because the following Saturday is when Darren runs the half marathon or waddles. It, um, so assuming I can actually stand upright, we'll have a conduit that following Sunday, which will be the 28th of April. So, okay. So spread the word, no conduit next week, uh, and then we'll be back the week after that. So, okay? All right, guys. Roll that beautiful bean footage, Logan. And if you guys haven't been to the conduit uh, TV station thing, go because there are some fascinating videos of like uh, audio adrenaline, like when Mark was 16. Uh, uh, Satan Bite the Dust was on there. <laughs> I saw Neil Diamond last night, so special thanks to Logan for fixing all that up for us. I mean, Neil Diamond, man. <laughs>